Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I'm so excited to have you here for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tim Sawhook, and we have another great episode for you again today. Before we get into everything, a little housekeeping. Now that we're into our 20th episode, which is kind of crazy for me to think, and we've had amazing people on, and you've got to learn a little bit about me and a lot about our people that have been on the show, now I want to know about you guys. So what I'm asking as a favor is come join our Facebook group, The Unwritten Life Podcast. Introduce yourself. Let me know where you're listening to this show at, where you're from, and maybe a favorite episode of yours, how you came to know about the podcast, all those things. Because I talk about that you guys are the heartbeat of the community. And I really love having you on. And you guys are the ones who download the podcast. And these are the people who affect your life when you listen to these and really mean something to you or give you some hope or encouragement. So please stop by, introduce yourself. I would love to hear from you guys. As always, like I ask at the beginning of the show, if you are enjoying the podcast, then please let us know. If you could go to iTunes specifically, and leave a rating and a written review. And I say it every week, it helps other people see the podcast, and I really want this message of hope to go out to others. And it all starts and ends with you guys. So if you could do that, I would greatly appreciate it, and it will really help other people get a chance to see the podcast. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we have a great episode today. We have a guy who's really going to warm your heart. He went through some stuff early on and through his life, and he really turned it around and using his story as a message of you can do anything. And I really want you guys to enjoy it today, and it's my pleasure to speak with him. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sterling Shira. Well, I'd like to welcome Sterling Shira to the podcast today. Sterling, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, Tim. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I was uh, privileged to meet Sterling and his wife, Christy, we were on an Adventures by Disney trip back in May together and we got to meet them and we got to talking a little bit about just our lives and stuff and that came out that I did this podcast and instantly in the backseat, his wife, Christy's like, you got to get Sterling on the show. He's got an amazing story. So I got a little bit of it there when we met them and then we've talked since and I think uh, Sterling's story and just you being on here is really going to offer perspective and hope to people. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So normally with most of our guests, you know, normally things that they're talking about have evolved as their life's gone on, and I ask people to start at the beginning. Well, your story kind of starts at the very beginning, and so I'm going to let you take it from there. What was it like growing up? Well, um, it was pretty much you know, a normal childhood. I uh, really didn't know that anything was any different until I was about five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I started kindergarten, and my uh, kindergarten teacher and my parents both kind of picked up at the same time that that I um, was a little bit different, um, that I wasn't hearing things or I was ignoring people. And so mm-hmm. they thought at first that I was just, you know, really shy and, and just kind of not outgoing. Um, it wasn't until my parents noticed that I would always move the phone back when we had, you know, the old phones on the wall. <laughs> uh, we moved the phone from my left ear to my right ear every single time. Mm-hmm. And they thought that that was peculiar. So, uh, they kind of talked with my, my kindergarten teacher, who was a wonderful lady named Patsy Ball. And they kind of put two and two together. And said, we, we probably need to test his hearing. 
to make mm-hmm. sure that there's not something wrong. And so at the age of five, I went to an audiologist and an ENT doctor, uh, initially in Montgomery, Alabama, and then subsequently was sent up to a physician up in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I was diagnosed with significant you know, hearing deficits. Um, I was almost 100% deaf in my left ear, mm-hmm. and I had really high-frequency deafness in my right ear. And so I could still hear the, you know, the, the frequencies that you typically associate with human speech. Right. And a lot of the day-to-day stuff that we, that we have, you know, in our day-to-day lives, but there were certain things that I was not hearing, like the really high frequencies, the, the birds, the, the insects, and things like that. But it was directional. And so everything to the left of me was being, for the most part, ignored because I wasn't hearing it or if I was in a loud place, such as a classroom, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't necessarily picking up on what was happening to the left as much as I would on, on the right, especially if I had that background noise right. kind of drowning out someone talking to me. And so, you know, from that time on, it was just kind of uh, trying to deal with that and, um, you know, basically making it through school and and going from there. Well, let's take a step back into your story a little bit. So, you know, it was identified at age five with you or with your teachers and your parents. What's your earliest memory of thinking something was wrong? Did you ever even think something was wrong with you growing up? No, was- I mean, I never really thought it. I mean, when I was that young, uh, I kind of, you know, had a, a – for the most part, a normal childhood up until that point. Right. And they really don't know when this happened. They they think that it could have happened when I had a upper respiratory illness and I had some antibiotics that could have caused nerve dam- damage, or it could have happened when I was you know in utero and my mm-hmm. mother could have had a virus that could have affected my nerves at that point in time. Okay. So really and truly, kind of leading up to that point, I didn't know consciously that anything was any different because that's the way that I was for the last time that I could remember. Gotcha. And so, I mean, that, that was kind of the, the big thing there was that, you know, I didn't know that something was wrong. Right. It wasn't until someone else kind of picked up on it. So that was just your normal. So you, you weren't really aware of anything at that point. Um, so early on five, you're, you know, enrolled in school, kindergarten stuff. What was it like, relationship-wise, did that hinder you at all, relationship with other kids and things? Well, it was hard because, I mean, it was different. Um, you know, I had the, the big over-the-ear hearing aids when I was um, diagnosed at five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, back in those days, and that was 30-some-odd years ago, uh, there really wasn't any digital hearing aids. It was just basically they just amplified all the sounds and tried to basically get it to a level where you could hear something. And so it was a little different. I had hearing aids in both ears, um, which later found out that I didn't really even need one in the left because it didn't do anything for me. Right. Um, But from a relationship standpoint, any child that's that's different is automatically, you know, seen by other children as as such. Right. And, you know, it's it's just hard, you know, when you're a five-year-old and you're trying to go through elementary school and everybody's trying to, build relationships and mm-hmm. and to kind of form their social bonds with their friends and you're kind of the, the one that's different mm-hmm. and and that was uh that was a challenge how did that affect you emotionally even now i mean because i know you hear stories of people who were bullied early on i'm not saying you were bullied but 
who go through that, but still kind of even feel it today as an adult. How did that affect you? Well, I mean, I think it was certainly uh, it was certainly hard when I was a child because I, mean, I did go through that phase where um, people made fun of you for not being able to to hear things or just really not being like them. Um, there really is no normal, but I guess that everybody kind of perceives how they are to be their normal. And so, I mean, it was hard because you had to deal with that from a social standpoint and really kind of built some social anxiety mm-hmm. when I was uh, early on. And really, it wasn't terrible when I was in elementary school. It really got kind of worse when I was in middle school and junior high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when people are just hypervigilant. They're, they're, they're noticing everything about you. Right, absolutely. And I'm sure at that point, and it, let's just be honest, everyone knows kids are cruel. Kids can yeah. be cruel just because of something slightly different. Kids can be cruel, and, and it's 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 sad. It truly is. And it, you know, I hate to see it happen, but it does happen, as you well know. And it does. I think you said you're a little more hypervigilant in that middle school, junior high age. Um, so, did you have any good friends who came alongside you during time? Someone you could really count on during those times? Yeah, I did. I actually had a uh, one guy that um, who was a, a much bigger guy than me. His name was Lee Joe. And Lee Joe was kind of my, he was my sidekick when we were in, in elementary school. And he just kind of made sure nobody picked on me. And nobody really would pick on me because he was about a foot taller than everybody else. <laughs> um, Lee Joe was a giant guy. And, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I stayed in touch with him through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was awesome to have some people who really would kind of take the time to get to know you and wouldn't let something that, you know, a physical appearance of a hearing aid over an ear uh, be enough to where they wouldn't even talk to you or they would shy away from you. Um, I had an outgoing personality from when I was a child, and that that helped, Mm -hmm. even though I I did have some social anxiety that was kind of mixed in with that. And so I I tried to make friends the best that I could, and I had a really awesome set of friends that I grew up with and that knew me from from birth mm-hmm. um, that were my neighborhood friends and they kind of watched after me as well. That's awesome. So it's good to hear that you had somebody and I want people listening to encourage your kids to not shy away from something that's different, different right. physically, mentally, socially, that people need those friendships. They need, you know, they just like your kids, they want to be accepted. They want to have friends and have those experiences. So encourage your kids. And I know it's different now because I used to work in schools as a paraprofessional one-on-one with kids. There's so much inclusion now that the kids who have any kind of disabilities are in the classroom. So the kids are a little more, I don't want to say tolerant. They're just used to it. So, cause they're, um, I remember when I was in high school back in the nineties, um, anybody who had any kind of special needs or whatever, they were separated in a complete other classroom and they weren't really, you know, infused or included with anybody else. Did you have any kind of situations like that where you were taken away from mainstream and put somewhere separate? Yeah, I did. Um, we had it was actually good because we had a uh, speech therapist who would basically come and get me, and and we would do speech therapy one day a week. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much through uh, elementary school and junior high school, and uh, I never had to go to a separate class as far as you know special ed or anything like that. It was mm-hmm. part of the special ed program that they would bring these you know speech therapists and language pathologists in mm-hmm. to to help children uh, who had hearing difficulties and and um but so i still participated with that i was still included with the majority of the class but okay. when i was in sixth grade i uh, we moved to another city 
and the school that had the best language pathologist and the best you know, um, hearing disability classes was uh, not where I was owned for. And so I actually had to drive to another um, school uh-huh. system in order to, to go to school there. Uh, so it was different from that standpoint because here I am, uh, I'm going to a school that's different from everybody else mm-hmm. in my entire neighborhood. And, and so it was a little bit harder at that point. In time. So, yeah. And so socially you missed out on that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I didn't get to go to the same uh, class functions and things like that to, that the kids that I you know, lived around. Right. Everybody else was on for one school system, and I was going to one that was about 15 minutes away. So at the school that you weren't, I mean, I know you weren't going to the school that was in your community with your friends. Did you make friends at the other school, or was it hard because you didn't live around those people? It was hard because I didn't, I didn't really know those people. I didn't live around them. Um, we didn't have those, no, you know, time to have activities and, and bonding mm-hmm. um, because, I mean, really, I just saw them during the day. Mm-hmm. And I was only at that school for one year, so okay. it was really hard to kind of, you know, build relationships during that short period of time. Let me ask you a question. You brought up a couple of times about social anxiety, and I know that's a really common thing back then, and especially today, people, it's more identified that kids go through it, adults go through it. How did that social anxiety, was there any certain period that something that stands out that really kind of crippled you from doing something you really wanted to do? I think so. I mean, when I was in junior high, I, I wanted to participate in athletics in some way, shape, or form, and it was more difficult to do that in the school setting, and, and partly because of, you know, the, the things that happened and, you know, kids that kind of didn't see Mm-hmm. me for being a person they just saw me as the, the, the kid that had uh, some hearing difficulties and wore the hearing aids right um and so i really you know i kind of branched out of that and started playing baseball in the city leagues mm-hmm. um, where we played with you know kids from all over the city and that actually helped and that was that was kind of what got me through junior high and high school with playing sports and playing baseball and i found a mm-hmm. a place where people accepted you right and because at that point in time you had a common interest and and um, you you were striving for a common goal and that that really brought kids together and you know most of the people once they got to know me and other people like me mm-hmm. then it was different I mean they just they could form a personal relationship and and you could you know form a friendship out of it right do you think do you ever think growing up even through elementary school up to high school, do you ever think kids were scared of you not knowing how to approach you or interact with you? I think that may be part of the problem too. I mean, it's just that, you know, they don't, some kids just didn't want to bring notice to, to the issue. And, mm-hmm. and so therefore they just didn't associate or even try to associate with, with people who were different. Right. Um, and I saw that not only with myself, but other people who were in the, the special education department. Um, it was just different, and mm-hmm. I think that you know it's hard because the you know, kids don't really understand how to you know go up right. to somebody and, and initiate a conversation and not point out the obvious. Right. No, I think that's a really good point, and you know, I think maybe I would ask you this question to 
you know, I, I have young listeners, but parents of kids to kind of give them the appropriate language, give them the right speech to come up and say something. Because um, we've had other podcasts where I've had people, you know, who have lost children, unfortunately, and things like that. And sometimes the people feel isolated because they don't know how, no one knows how to approach them, how's how to bring right. it up to feel normal. What would you say to parents who are listening? What's like the appropriate thing that would have felt good to you for someone to come up to you to not feel like it's the big elephant in the room just because you have a hearing aid? Well, I think more than anything, just to treat that person just like you would any other person. I mean, you know, kind of take aside the the, the difference and you genuinely go up to someone, introduce yourself, and mm-hmm. and try to carry on a conversation to get to know that person you know, without focusing necessarily on you know what makes you different from someone else. Right. Did you ever have a problem? Did people ever ask you about the hearing aids ever, or did it kind of ignore it? They did. I mean, when when I was younger, uh, they certainly did. Um, you know, I, I wore hearing aids pretty much through my freshman year of high school, mm-hmm. and then you know, from my sophomore through senior year, and even into the first part of college, I actually didn't wear them because it it really wasn't providing any you know change and any help to me. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit different when you know people didn't see me with hearing aids because they didn't know that there was any difference until they were on the left side or they they were trying to talk to me and they really didn't, Mm -hmm. they really didn't understand, you know, okay, he's just ignoring me. Um, but then, you know, we went to a small school, so most of the kids would, wouldn't know. And, um, you know, not too long after meeting me, there was a little something that was different. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that having the hearing aids was certainly a, 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 it was a topic of interest and a topic of conversation sure. because they, they certainly saw it and mm-hmm. wanted to know more about it. And I think that that's one way to approach it. And as far as, you know, parents telling your kids to, to, um, if you see something different and the person willing to talk about it, mm-hmm. they're fine to talk about it. Okay. Ask it. I wasn't shy about, you know, telling people what it was and or explaining to them, you know, what my, my hearing was like. Right. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question about, social stuff like that and then I want to go a little bit back in your story what was it like even relationships having like girlfriends things like that was that hindered by you having hearing aids I think it was to a certain extent I mean I think that you know really I, I didn't start you know having girlfriends per se until I was probably in 10th grade mm-hmm. uh, in high school and and then but once they kind of got to know me and and like I said we went to a small school so uh, most everybody knew everyone else that was there. So it really didn't have a hindrance in that okay. way uh, when I was in high school, I would say. I was wondering. I mean, it's obvious. No one can see you, but Sterling's a good-looking guy, so he probably didn't have too many problems uh, <laughs> with the ladies and going through <laughs> high school. <laughs> um, let me go back into your story a little bit. I remember when we talked earlier on, you talked about one time when you were younger where you finally got to hear those high frequencies and what it was like for the first time. Can you talk about that? Right. That was actually, I was actually in college. Oh, um, college. Okay. Yeah. So when I was in college, you know, the digital hearing aids were starting to come into play. Mm-hmm. And so they could isolate what frequencies I was not picking up naturally. And, you know, they would put one hearing aid in one ear, uh, my right ear, because it was the only one that could hear most of the, the, uh, the, the range, but mm-hmm. just couldn't hear the certain part of the range that was really high stuff. And so I, I put a digital hearing aid in and started walking around and kind of I wore it for about a week. And 
I was just kind of taken aback by all of the sounds <laughs> that I've never heard before. Because the way that digital hearing aid works is mm-hmm. it basically takes all of those frequencies and it pulls it into a range where you could hear it. And then, so I'm used to walking outside and not hearing a lot of the noises right. and stuff that's going on in the background. And all of a sudden I'm walking outside and I'm hearing birds chirping, crickets, you know, doing whatever. <laughs> I mean, just, it was just loud. And honestly, it was kind of, it was, it was confusing to me because it's just kind right. of just always this constant back noise when I'm used to, for the most part, when there's silence being silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wore it for a couple of weeks and it, it just became a distraction almost. And so I stopped wearing them. Uh, <laughs> after that. Was there ever a point when you first heard it? I know you said it was really loud and confusing. Was it ever a bit like exciting? Like, Oh, I'm hearing these for the first time. It was. It was very exciting when I first, you know, put them on and would walk outside and I was like, man, I, I can I can hear literally the bird across the yard, um, you know, or it, it was exciting. It was kind of like, you know, you see the video where people who are colorblind, they put on the, the yeah. chroma glasses and, and they see colors for the first time. That's kind of how it was. It was emotional at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, it kind of got to the point where I was hearing every little thing that, that was different and so well you know after really 19 years of of having not having that you kind of gotten used to not having it so um i kind of it it was a little bit harder after that point i guess so that's that's funny that you said i can finally hear that bird that's literally across the yard you're hearing all the noises and i guess that would be if you haven't heard that for 19 years to hear it all at once that probably would be overwhelming emotionally for the first time especially and then just after a while, kind of like, all right, this is kind of annoying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so after graduation, you know, you talked a little bit about relationships growing up, stuff like that. Was there any other stories in high school that stand out to you that kind of shaped you to where you're going now? Or is it really started shaping you what you're doing now in uh, college? Um, I guess, I mean, what I'm doing now is kind of shaped by my parents more than anything. My parents were both in the medical field. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the hospital and around the hospital mm-hmm. uh, with them. And so I think that they were the biggest influence as far as kind of where I went in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't plan on going into the medical field. I wanted to be a veterinarian, so the animal medical, not necessarily just the human mm-hmm. medical. Um, but it was when I was in high school that I kind of got the desire to, to kind of help people mm-hmm. um, and focus more on that when I was uh, going into college. What, what kind of gave you that desire in high school that you wanted to help people over animals? I think more or less the experiences that I'd had in life and, and that, you know, building some relationships that uh, I felt like that I could, I could pursue that and be successful. And I wanted to, you know, give other people the, um, the just, just basically just help, you know, mm-hmm. to, to help them get through things in life and, and hard times, and and I felt like that you know, medicine was a way for me to do that. Right, absolutely. What what point was it in your life in high school or whatever in college where you figured, listen, I'm not limited. You know, I have the same potential, the same goals as anybody else, and I'm not going to let I have a hearing disability hold me back. When was that that kind of locked in? Like I can do this. I think it was really my sophomore year of high school. Um, my when I left my my junior high, my junior high went up through ninth grade and I 
moved back to my hometown, which is uh, Millbrook, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I kind of fell back to the same people that I grew up with through the early part of elementary school and who knew me. They knew kind of what was going on in my life and, and had already accepted me as most of the people were my friends. And so moving home was what really kind of solidified what I can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I came back to an environment that was very encouraging and that I had friends that were supportive mm-hmm. of me. And so I went from basically uh, my ninth grade year being a straight C student to coming back home to my 10th grade year through my 12th grade year of never making a beat. Um, wow. And so it was when I was in high school in my hometown that I realized that I can, I can do what I put my mind to. Right. That I could, I could pursue a dream and it wasn't limited on, you know, any disability that I had. Right. I love that message. Um, I think there's so many people either with big disabilities or either small ones who do feel that they are limited or they're held back, that they can't do it because they have something hindering them. And I love that you had that spirit that you came back and you felt rallied around because you had the encouragement of the friends and family and it really kind of boosted you up socially, emotionally, and with your grades. How cool was that? Um, talk about what your journey was like out of high school into college. I know you have some interesting stuff you told me about. Yeah, so I um, I went to college at Auburn University uh, in Auburn, Alabama. And um, as part of, you know, I was very fortunate. My parents had, had paid for what they call a pipe plan. And that helped to cover my tuition expenses through college. Mm-hmm. It didn't cover everything. And so um, I had been uh, kind of working with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services when I was in uh, my early part of late part of high school, first part of of college. Mm -hmm. And they were an awesome group of people that kind of focused on getting people with disabilities into the workforce and getting them training uh, Mm -hmm. to to do a task and essentially rehabbing them to the point where they could be productive members of society. Right. And so the Department of Rehab Services actually uh, gave me a grant to go to college and so they paid my room and board when I was in college which was huge That's and awesome. that helped a ton uh, so I started you know at Auburn University as a uh, actually my dad did not want me to go into medicine mm-hmm. uh, my father wanted me to be an engineer so we uh, we <laughs> went to the, the Camp War Eagle which is kind of the orientation camp mm-hmm. for incoming freshmen and they uh they wanted me to declare a major at that point in time, what my interest was. My dad says chemical engineering. And I kind of went behind his back 30 minutes later and said, I want to be a doctor. I want to be pre-med and, wow. and, and didn't tell him. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I got to Auburn and, and coming from a small town where you have literally about 130 people in your graduating class and going to your first class at Auburn university as someone who has a hearing difficulty mm-hmm. and you're sitting in an auditorium with 300 people wow um, and that was that was a shock uh so you know i always made sure that i was sitting in the front that i would always you know uh, be right there where the professor was most people tried to sit way back in the back <laughs> yeah I mean, from, the time, from the time that i was diagnosed with having a hearing difficulty i sat on the front row as much as i could and and i think that you know once people kind of knew that it didn't have a problem let me have a seat right and and from the standpoint of a lot of my teachers it kind of freaks them out because i would 
not only listening to them intently, but I was watching their mouth. Right. Uh, so I was filling in the blanks with, when there's a lot of commotion around me, and I would fill in the blanks with, you know, what I'm lip reading, essentially. Right. And and so that's still what I do in you know, normal everyday conversation. If we're in a, a very crowded room that's loud, then I'm not only looking, um, I'm not only listening to you, but I'm looking at your lips at the same time. Right. So during your time in college, is that when you had met your now wife? Actually, no. Um, I met Christy when we were in high school. So okay, uh, I was a senior in high school, and she was a sophomore. Okay, and uh, we we became friends through mutual friends, and we started dating. I guess it was the the summer between my senior year and my uh, freshman year of college, mm-hmm. and so we dated for a short period of time. And with her still having two years of high school and me going, you know, two hours away to college. Um, we just kind of decided to be more friends than, than right. carry on a relationship, but we stayed friends and, you know, it was kind of one of those weird situations where, um, my wife and I had the same circle of friends. Right. So we kind of always were exposed to each other, but more than anything, you know, we, we actually made it a point to carry on a friendship between the two of us. Um, so we went to periods where we dated different people and but we still remain friends and, mm-hmm. and at some point in time and I guess it was after college it was my first year of, of medical school uh, she and I were both single at the same time and putting caution to the wind we we kind of said you want to try this again and, and you know that was 14 15 years ago now yeah so what most people don't know about this is that <laughs> right now his wife is in the room with him as we're recording this so one he's got to get his story really straight and not miss a detail and then secondly she just came up behind him and was doing all these hearts behind his head um so (laughs) that was really cute so yeah that's a lot of pressure normally the spouses aren't around so when i ask those questions so she didn't come over here and negate anything so i guess he nailed that got that right so good job um (laughs) um so it's cool that you guys came back together after college into med school. Um, what was your experience like getting into uh, medical school? Did you have any kind of problems with people or anything being that you had a disability with your hearing going into medical school? Not really. I think that that was a concern when I was going through the interview process. Um, so that was, that was brought up. Um, but I think that I had done well enough in my undergraduate career that, that it kind of, negated any concerns that most of the people had when I was going into medical school. Um, so really and truly, I think by the time that I got to that point, it was more or less, you know, kind of what you've accomplished at that point and right. what your grades were, what your, your scores were and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and really, you know, we, we had to sit down with the, uh, the, basically an interviewing board. So I went to, to UAB for medical school in Birmingham, Alabama. And as part of the admission process, they I think they still do this. You sat down with about five or six people and each one of them interviewed you. And so not only were they looking to see if you had the grades, but they wanted to make sure that you had the personality and sure. and kind of the, the traits that they're looking for, for good doctors. And so, and that really actually helped me because, you know, sitting down with mm-hmm. six people, I could talk to them and, and explain to them where I came from and, right. and what I was looking to accomplish. Well, I think that's amazing that you 
because you stand out, you know, probably because of having a disability sometimes that you think like, okay, and that's all the way they're going to see me. But for you to be able to come through in this interview process and show them what you're really about as a person, you know, along with your grades and things to really uh, stand out just as a good person, a good doctor. So that's really cool that they did that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, it almost in some way did help, honestly, because they look at something like that and say, okay, this, this person can persevere. They can overcome sure. adversity in their life. And, and I think that that's the, the big message for people who, you know, have a disability of any kind that it, it really doesn't limit your ability. Right. I mean, you may be disabled in one particular area, but more than anything, I think that you have to have the mindset that you're not limited by disability. Right. That you can do whatever you want to do as long as you're willing to work through it and have the dedication and, and put through the hard work mm -hmm. to actually accomplish the goals that you set. No, I love that a lot. I'm going to ask you a question. So once you became a doctor, did you come across any problems professionally having this, working with other people, or was it just was pretty much normal every day, everything, everyone's normal, just like you? For the most part, everything kind of smoothed out. I mean, I can carry on conversations, and most people, you know, a lot of the people that I work with don't pick up on the fact that I um, have a hearing disability and that I'm deaf on one side and partly deaf on the other, mm -hmm. um, you know. I was concerned, honestly, when I first started, um, you know, as far as listening to a stethoscope and making sure I could hear all the sounds that I needed to hear. Sure. Um, bought digital stethoscope, made sure that I could hear that. Uh, so, but really, I never had any limitations with that. I could hear all of the, the heart sounds that I needed to, the, the, the pulmonary stuff. It was really never uh, hard because I still maintained that wide range of, of hearing on that right side. Um, so really and truly from a professional standpoint, once I got into medicine, mm -hmm. it hasn't hindered me that much other than the fact that some of the nurses sometimes think I'm a jerk when they are talking <laughs> to me and I don't pick up on it. <laughs> well, I've actually, I've actually had one of the nurses that was talking to another nurse. Man, he's a real butthole. <laughs> and the nurse like, really? No, he, he's like the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And he said, he's just deaf. And they're like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the time that, you know, we met you, we were with you for a week out in Wyoming. I had no idea that you had any hearing issues at all until you guys told me. I had no clue. And I didn't think you were a butthole either, just for the record. I thought you were a nice guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, do you have any fear of losing hearing more in your in your good ear? It, that's always been a concern. And, and from the time that I was diagnosed when I was five, um, that that was kind of the concern that we had in the back of our head was, you know, not really fully understanding what caused my hearing loss and knowing that it was a nerve deafness. Uh, we really didn't understand, you know, what the risks were as far as losing the remaining hearing. Right. Fortunately, I've been very blessed and God has blessed me with stable hearing uh, right. since that time. And so I go and I, I have my hearing checked periodically with an audiologist and, and follow with ENT positions mm -hmm. to make sure that my hearing is not changing. Now, granted, you know, everyone's hearing is going to decrease as we get older. Right. I think that's just, you know, uh, it's, it's a consequence of aging. Mm -hmm. And so as I get into my later years, I will have more hearing loss um, than I have now, but that's just the, the normal process of aging at that point. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I wondered about, you know, especially, and you kind of touched on about as a kid when you first were diagnosed, thinking about maybe it was progressed as a, I grow older and maybe lose all hearing altogether. 
Um, but again, and, it really, really from our, I was just going to say from our standpoint too, you know, not knowing what it was when we started having kids, we started saying, well, what's the likelihood of, of oh, our yeah. kids being affected by that too? And, and fortunately, I think that mine was more just an environmental thing and, sure. and being exposed either to a virus or to uh, the aminoglycoside antibiotics that I had when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that as being as a fear as a parent with your kids being born that you, they may have the same issue. And yeah. so far, they have had none, correct? Correct. Okay, that's good. You have beautiful kids. I, well, I've seen the pictures of your kids. You do have beautiful kids. Um. Have you had the opportunity as an adult now to go back alongside anybody else who is going through a hearing disability and kind of encourage them or kind of speak some truth into them at all? Not necessarily particularly from a hearing disability standpoint, but other people who have other issues that are uh, going through things and, and really trying to, to encourage people to, to move past anything that they see as a, a disability and make sure that they focus on the things that they have that are strengths and not focus on the weaknesses or the areas where they may have a, a deficit. Um, because I really do firmly believe that that people who have a disability or a deficit in one area are heightened ability and and, uh, and really can shine in other areas. Right. You know, I've, I've had friends of mine who have been diagnosed with Asperger's who made it through medical school and are doctors. Um, awesome. I mean, it's really amazing what you can do if you have the determination and the will. Right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite quotes is that, you know, ordinary people can do extraordinary things with their body, with their minds, with their life, um, no matter if you're absolutely. limited or not. If you have that drive and desire, like you said, you really can do anything. You know, it may be a little bit harder, you know, not easiest path, but it, it can be done, giving that strength. Um, you've already touched on a couple of things already, but, you know, the last thing I always ask everybody is what bit of hope and encouragement. You've touched on that a little bit. Speak to specifically parents. If you're, you have parents who are listening now who have a child that has any kind of disability, but especially a hearing thing that, you know, they're really struggling right now and they don't see that bright future right now because they're just kind of up in it. There's a lot of tests and there's a lot of um, going to therapies and things like that. What kind of hope and encouragement could you offer to them, Sterling? More than anything, just don't ever look at any particular one area as a limitation. I mean, Treat your children as though you would if they didn't have anything that was different. Um, never have the expectation and the preconceived notion that someone is not going to be successful mm-hmm. because of one particular aspect in their lives. I think more than anything, it's just that you have to have the hope and the desire as a parent to provide for your kids and to make sure that they have all the tools that they need to be successful. And that is regardless of whether you have a child who has no deficits, no disabilities, mm-hmm. or you have one that has a profound disability. Um, really and truly, you just have hope, um, have faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge person of faith. I'm a Christian. I think that God can, can do miraculous things in people's lives. Amen. And I, I think that we can, that as long as you have the outlook of, and the positivity of a parent, then that's going to reflect through your child. I think that that's going to shine through in their future and making sure that they know that, that you don't see them as limited will make it where they have the, the, uh, the confidence to make sure that other people don't see them as limited as yeah. well. Well, I absolutely love that. I mean, that's such a great perspective. And to, um, I agree. We, my wife and I are also people of faith. We believe you know, God can do anything, truly. 
and um, keep your faith, keep that hope alive, and just knowing that things are possible. And I love what you said: is don't let your kids even let you see them as being limited. You know, because that really could be profound in them going forward. Um, this has been awesome, Sterling, having you on the show and hearing your perspective and hearing the amount of hope and encouragement you have for people. And I know this is really going to touch people's lives, touch their hearts. If they would want to, if they ever want to get in touch with you and hear more about your story or get some hope and encouragement, how can people get a hold of you, Sterling? Sure. Um, my email is actually Sterling, S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G, Shira, S-H-I-R-A-H-M-D, at gmail.com. Okay. And if they have any questions or anything that pertains to, you know, what it's like to go through this or kind of what the, any advice that I can have to help them through, uh, you know, having a child with disabilities or, or if they're even, you know, in that area, mm-hmm. you, you are the child, you are the, the, the young adult who's trying to, to seek to have a successful life and just need some encouragement. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly willing to help. Oh, well, that's amazing. What I'll do is I'll take your email. I'll put it in our show notes, make it available for people um, when the, the show goes live. Hey, Sterling, I can't thank you enough for being on. You're a great guy, and you have a great story and a great testimony. And it's, like I said, it's really going to offer hope to people. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. And it's a, it's a wonderful podcast that you do, and I really appreciate what you do to, to reach out to people and, and basically just to make sure that you're, everyone has an encouraging voice and, mm-hmm. and that you can you can be a, a witness and, and a testimony to someone else. Well, I really appreciate that, and I'm happy I can't do it without amazing people like you to share your story, what God's done in your life. So thank you again, and I hope you have a great day today, Sterling. Thank you. Well, I couldn't be more thankful to have Sterling on the show today. I mean, what a great guy. I mean, I got to know him out in Wyoming for a week with him and his wife, and the guy has a smile on his face all the time. A very friendly gentleman, and I think you could hear that conveyed in his voice. You know, and he shared about his journey, his story from a young boy learning that he had severe hearing loss in one of his ears and that how that affected him through his life. Talked about early on wearing the big hearing aids and what that did to him socially. You know, as we talk about kids are cruel and kids are unusual when they see something different. Same thing with adults, unfortunately, treated something different. But I love how he explained and how he navigated his life in this realm because he did a lot of extra work to be able to read lips um, and then his experience for the first time hearing those high-pitched noises it really made me laugh when he talked about being able to hear that bird all the way across the street for the first time and how after hearing those things for a while he's like eh, don't want to hear it anymore a little too high-pitched and crazy um, but his story is such a story of hope and light because what he talks about is that you're not limited in any fashion And it's not about a disability. Take the dis away. It's about your ability, right? And did you ever think he dreamed as a young boy in Alabama growing up that, you know, he he can't really hear as well. He's different from everybody else and he knows it. That one day he's going to be a doctor and he's going to be sharing his story on a podcast and all throughout his life what he does. And um, he's overcome so much, but he talks about it with such dignity and such grace And speaking of grace, he talked about how they rely on God, that they're Christians, and that they know through God anything is possible. And it's true. God can take your mess and turn it into a message. Not that his life was a mess by any means, but he can take anything and turn it around for his glory and to help others. And I was so proud of Sterling sharing his testimony about that as well. 
And I love what he talked about at the very end. If you're going through something like this or you have a family member or a child or whatever, do not let them think that you think they're limited because they're dealing with society all around. And what society does, when we see somebody who looks different or sounds different, we tell them what they're capable of based upon what we think they can do based upon what we call as limitations. And even if you don't have a disability or come up with it, don't let anybody ever limit you based upon what they think you're capable of because you are stronger than that and only you know your heart, know your desires, and know your will to accomplish the goals that you want for yourself. So today when you think you are limited, you're not. When you think you're out of options, you're not. And when you think you're not capable of doing something, you are. Don't give up, even if your journey looks like it's really far ahead. And I want you guys to picture something today. If you are out there today, or you're with somebody who is facing something daunting right now, facing a big challenge in their life, picture it as a massive staircase, right? So massive that you can't even see the top where it ends, okay? But we've heard this in little things before, little motivation. But literally, it's all about taking that first step. And you're going to succeed and you're going to start to tackle those things that you're scared of, those big daunting things that you're facing right now, just one step at a time. And it's going to take all the strength in the world to take that first step because you're scared and you're overwhelmed. But once you find your strength to take that first step, put your first foot up there on that step, pull yourself up, it's going to get a little bit easier because guess what? That top of that staircase isn't going to seem so far away anymore. You're going to be able to start to see that. And then you're going to take another step and realize, I am doing this. I am stepping through life further and further. And that daunting thing that seemed so impossible is now seeing possible. This message of this podcast is all about hope and encouragement and then showing that your story is unwritten. God doesn't put us on the earth just to suffer, right? To go through things and pack it in and that's it. It's, but through those things that we can share to other people, and share the growth and show them that, listen, I did this, you can do it too. That your story is unwritten and this is not the end. There are so many more bigger and better things for you out there. And I can't thank Sterling enough for coming on today and sharing his most message of encouragement, of hope, and showing you that anything is possible. So thank you so much, Sterling. It really means a lot to all of us. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for joining me again today for another episode in as always, I talk about you guys being the community, and I want you guys to join me. I really want to hear from you. So if you have a story to tell or you're just enjoying it or you have a comment or you just want to reach out, find me at Tim at unwrittenlifepodcast.com. Drop me an email. I want to hear from you. Also, check out our show notes. Go back to previous episodes. Look at the pictures of people and their family. They have contact information on there. You can reach out to them. All those things are there for you guys to take advantage of. Also, our conversation's always going on in our Facebook group, Unwritten Life Podcast. Join us there and on Instagram. I love to post pictures of people who have been on the show the past week and to engage with you guys there as well. So we've come to the end of yet another episode, but guys, this is not the end of your life, the end of your journey at all. Remember, you matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten. <laughs>